Good evening. Good evening and uh, welcome to New Hope. If you're uh, looking for space, we got room in the front pew here. I think I brushed my teeth, so I think we're okay. Um, so I know we have a lot of kids in here tonight, and I bet that a number of the kids are kind of looking forward to what happens tomorrow morning, or maybe even tonight when you get home in your house. Any things that you're hoping to find under the tree you want to tell everybody about? I wasn't asking if you were excited, I was asking what you might like to find under the tree. Nothing? Socks? Okay. Who wants socks? Alicia wants rain boots. Jared, what are you looking for? You're looking for what? A big box of pasta? He said a lot of nothing, okay? Anybody else? Yes, Jonah, what are you looking for? You, you want a helicopter? And a saw. <laughs> good, good luck with that. Okay. I remember, <clears throat> you know, I've, I've said a number of embarrassing things from up here over the years, but there was, and you can go back and listen on the website. Some years ago, I was pleading more than once during Advent for an HD DVD player. Remember those? It was sort of like the Betamax of high-def movies. There was a battle between HD DVD and Blu-ray, and Blu-ray won. If I had gotten my wish, I would have a piece of equipment and no movies to play it on. Thankfully, I didn't. And a year later, we got the Blu-ray player and we were all happy. But, you know, I, I imagine that there are some kids who are hoping to find maybe an Xbox One. Anybody? No? Hoping for an iPad or an iPhone. Nope. You know... The thing is, uh, so many of the things that we are hoping for are simply new and improved versions of things that have been out there already. Does anybody here remember the Palm Pilot? (laughs) Right? It was sort of the digital version of your day timer, and it could fit in your pocket as long as you had a big pocket that was reinforced. Or the Xbox One may remind some of us of the old Atari systems, or even before that, Pong. Even the iPhone is just a bunch of different gadgets, miniaturized and stuck in your pocket. There are a few things, well, maybe the iPhone is one of them, that have been truly transformative. And we can't always figure out what those are going to be. Back in 1876, there was an internal memo within the Western Union Company in which somebody said, this telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. And 130 years later, Western Union sent their very last telegram. Some of you may remember those too. 
Or Daryl Zanuck, the head of 20th Century Fox in 1946, said television won't be able to hold on to any market it captures after the first six months. People will soon get tired of staring at a plywood box every night. I think one of the, the winners has to be Thomas Watson, who was the chairman of IBM. In 1943, he said, I think there is a world market for maybe five computers. So we don't always see it coming. And often that's because what we are looking for is just something that is new and improved rather than something that is new and utterly transformed. In our text for tonight, we've been in Jeremiah 30 31 during Advent. And here in 31, we read... Starting in verse 27, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will plant to the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the offspring of men and animals. Just as I watched over them to uproot and to tear down and to overthrow, destroy and bring disaster, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares Yahweh. In those days, people will no longer say the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Instead, everyone will die for his own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, his own teeth will be set on edge. The time is coming, declares Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It won't be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, even though I was like a husband to them, declares Yahweh. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares Yahweh. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, No, Yahweh, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares Yahweh. For I will forgive their wickedness. And I will remember their sins no more. This is what Yahweh says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. Yahweh, the God of angel armies, is his name. Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares Yahweh, will the descendants of Israel ever cease to be a nation before me. This is what Yahweh says, only if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below be searched out, will I reject all the descendants of Israel because of all they've done, declares Yahweh. The days are coming, declares Yahweh, when this city of Jerusalem will be rebuilt for me. From the tower of Hananel to the corner gate, the measuring line will stretch from there straight to the hill of Gareb and then turn to Goa. The whole valley where dead bodies and ashes are thrown and all the terraces out to the Kidron Valley on the east as far as the corner of the horse gate will be holy to Yahweh. And the city will never again be uprooted or demolished. This is a message that God is giving to his people. A message of hope, but a message of hope that involves not just the restoration of what they had been enjoying before. This is a message of hope that involves a total transformation, not just a renewal, but something that is utterly new 
even at the end, if you're not familiar with the geographical markers that he's giving us at the end, what he's talking about there is turning the town dump into the temple area. He's talking about taking what is the most filthy, disgusting part of the land and turning it into a place that is sacred, that is holy, a place that is set apart for worship. He's talking about a new covenant that won't be like the old one that he made. The people were not faithful to it, even though I was, God says. And so I will make a new covenant. What we learn from this is that God is a God who is faithful to his promises. The psalmist says Yahweh is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. And we recited tonight during the prayer time the Magnificat, Mary's words, where she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. This is in Luke chapter 1. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with His arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He's helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants, even as he promised our fathers. This God who made these promises to Jeremiah is the same God who made the promises to Abraham, is the God who made the promises to Moses, is the God who made the promises to David, is the God who made these absolutely unexpected declarations to a young Jewish girl engaged to be married to a general contractor. And what Mary testifies to is the faithfulness of this God who loves his people. But what we also see from this passage in Jeremiah is that God's faithfulness is often expressed in ways that we don't expect them to be. In fact, usually is expressed in ways that we didn't expect. And what's more, usually God's faithfulness is is expressed in ways that are way better than anything we could have figured out on our own. This is one of the good things about having a high doctrine of sovereignty, which is a fancy way of saying the recognition that there are two name tags, the one that says God and the one that says not God, and you get the one that says not God. God is faithful to his promises, but he is the one who decides how and when he is going to be faithful to his promises. And when that happens, we have a choice. We can rebel, we can complain, we can say, hey, that's not what I was expecting, that's not what I wanted, 
I wanted an HD DVD player. I wanted a Betamax recorder. Anybody have a dot matrix printer on your Christmas list at one point? Where we can embrace what God has chosen to give us. Because before Mary sang her song, before she sang out that Magnificat, earlier in Luke's Gospel, he tells the story about how in the sixth month God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Now this virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? Mary had had health class. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your aunt, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Well, I can't make sense of that, said Mary. I don't think I can go along with it. Is that what your Bible has? That's not what I was expecting, Mary said. No. She did say, what are you talking about? How can this happen? This doesn't make sense. It's not like we can't tell God when he does the things that he's going to do in his way that we're surprised. It's not like we can't wonder. But then what does she say? I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you said. Then the angel left. We have the choice when God demonstrates his faithfulness to his promises. When he does that in ways we weren't expecting, we have the choice of saying like so many stubborn and rebellious people, well, that's not what I was expecting. That's not what I was planning. That's not what makes sense to me. Or we can say with Mary, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. We can say with St. Chrysostom in the prayer that we prayed tonight, fulfill now, Lord, our desires and petitions as may be best for us. We can say with Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we as New Hope would be a people and a church who respond to the surprising ways in which you demonstrate your faithfulness with gratitude, with appreciation, with humility, with enthusiasm. We pray that we would be willing to hold loosely our own preferences,
our own agendas because we know that ultimately it is you, not we, who know what is best for us. Give us the grace, Lord, not to cling so tightly to what you've given us, but to hand it over to you and to say, may your will be done. All this we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand as we close our time together this evening. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.